Welcome to the Grace College Podcast, a ministry of Grace Bible Church located in College Station, Texas. We desire to impact students who will impact the world for Christ. Hope you enjoy the talk and hang around for more after. Welcome to Grace College. Howdy! Hope you guys have had a great weekend. Great to celebrate another win. Am I right? Okay, yeah, yeah, one or two of you excited about that. I know we pulled it out at the end. No doubts, no doubts, people. Come on, we pulled it out at the end. Hey, we are continuing our, our uh, trek through the book of Philippians. And so if you have a Bible, jump to Philippians chapter one. We're gonna be just looking at three simple verses. And uh, if you've been here for a while, I actually preached a message on this passage uh, last January. Uh, that's the fun part about being in a place for um, two years is you realize, oh man, I used my best ammo a year ago. So but that's fine. Uh, the Bible has had such great insight, and I love studying this passage um, again this week. So if you're familiar with this, you're like, I feel like I've heard that those uh, ideas before. It's because we've kind of covered it a little bit before, but hopefully it will push us in a new direction as we look at it in a fresh light. So let me read uh, verses 27 through 30 for us, pray for us, and then launch in. Paul says this, only... Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened by, in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw and had now heard here that I still have. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for your word. And I thank you so much for this morning that we can gather together as, as believers or seekers, people that are wanting to know more about you, Jesus, wanting to know you, God. And I, I pray that as we look at this, this text this morning, as we look at what the, the church is supposed to be, that we would be inspired and instructed in how to, and how to be a community that's filled with unity, that we would be people that move forward together, lock and step, for the sake of the gospel, for your glory and our good. And Lord, I pray for each person here that they might see their their place within your story, and God, that they would strive together for the sake of the gospel. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, in 2014, there was a major shift in coaching that occurred on one team, the the Warriors, and Steve Kerr had just been hired to be the new coach of the Golden State Warriors, and uh, and he he flew into Oakland International Airport. And he walked into one of the bars, uh, a wine bar there at the International Airport, and walked in and sat down. And immediately, all the, all the bartenders around there uh, saw Steve Kerr walking in and saw his new assistant walking in. And they were uh, immediately excited to see what was going to happen with this new coach. Because in particular, this one guy named, a uh, bartender named Kevin uh, Ninkovich was very, uh, he was a huge warrior fan, a huge basketball fan. And he was excited to see what Steve Kerr was going to do with this new team. And he's, Steve Kerr sits down and they order some wine and cheese. Um, apparently that's what Kerr does. And as they're sitting there at the, at the wine bar, um, Kevin Ninkovich, uh, Ninkovich the, uh, the bartender, just got a little bit of bold question. 
And he walked over to him and he said, so what do you think the offense is going to look like this next year? Now, Ninkovich um, had watched the Warriors for years and he really disliked the offense that they'd run the previous year. Particularly, he disliked um, ISO basketball. If you're not familiar with basketball, there's a couple different ways you can play. Uh, You can play as a a team ball, moving the ball frequently, or you can play isolation basketball where one person dribbles the ball down the court and basically it's one on five. It's that person trying to get the best shot off they can. And and this guy, Kevin Ninkovich, he he really disliked that isolation basketball and he was hoping that Kerr would put a different uh, form of offense on the team. And he, he asked him the question, so what offense do you think you're going to run this next year? And Steve Kerr says, funny you mention that. And his assistant took the cheese tray, cleared off all the cheese and sausage, and literally with cheese and sausage, they began showing the thoughts of the new offense that he was going to instill on this team. An offense that was devastating, that has been devastating to the competition. They've scored more points and won more games than any team in NBA history. And and the foundation of this offense was so unique, was so different, because the Warriors were ones that had played isolation basketball. And they had, they, they counted the lowest number of passes per game, about 247 passes per game, the lowest by 15 passes. And Steve Kerr says, I want to flip that on its head. I want my team to be a passing, moving Team. I want every single person to be involved in this offense, and it's going to be difficult. We're going to have people set picks for one another, run off the ball. The ball is going to be constantly moving. The, the, literally, the, the game is going to change, and it's going to be difficult to make this change because we've got some great athletes, and they are wanting to have the ball, but we're going to have everyone sacrifice some of their ball time so that everyone gets to move, everyone gets to participate. And it was a rocky start. I mean, the first couple of games, actually, if you look at 20, 2014, the first couple of games, they lost. But then they got the hang of it. And soon this team began to devastate the competition. So much so that other players around the league are looking at the Golden State Warriors as a, as a model of a team. And you're watching other players around the league looking at this team going, I'm willing to, to give up some starting spots, to give up some playmaking ability. If I can be part of a team that works together in unity, if I want to be part of a team that actually wins, I'm willing to give up some of my pieces so that I could be part of a team that is unified around a common purpose and helping one another win. And the reason I start there is because of this. The same is true in the Christian life. In the Christian life, we are, we are put together as part of a team. See, you were saved by grace through faith if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And he doesn't save you as an individual. He puts you into a community. And as part of that community, you are meant to work together in unity. But the problem with the Philippian church, is I think it's the same problem that, that many churches have, is that they knew the gospel but they weren't unified. They believed the right things. They just didn't like to be around these people. In fact, in Philippians chapter four, you'll see it. There's two women that are fighting, Eudia and Syntyche. And so Paul tells them, hey, help these women to encourage one another and, and stand with one another. See, these people were, were, they had the right focus. They were participating with Paul. They just didn't like one another all that well. And so what Paul is writing in this section is this, how do I create unity where there's division? 
How do I bring the people together so that they will strive for the right things together? He tells them this, I want you to do three things. I want you to stand together. I want you to strive together. And I want you to suffer together. The first thing he points out is this in verse 27. I want you to stand together. He says this, only. Karl Barth says it's like Paul holds up one finger, only. I want you to be about one thing. I want you to be about this thing, to live a life worthy of the gospel. What does it mean to live a life worthy of the gospel? Well, he unpacks it in these three ways, that you would stand together, that you would strive together, that you would, that you would suffer alongside one another. If you want to live a life that's worthy, that's at the level of the gospel, I want you to be unified together. And he picked a, an interesting word right here. He says that you would live a life worthy of the gospel. And, and literally the word is one word in Greek, to live a life worthy. It's to live as citizens. It's the Greek word say. And he chose that word because he knew it would get a rise out of the Philippians. He knew that the Philippians were huge on their polis, their city. Why? Because in 42 BC, uh, there was a, a war between Octavian and Anthony and Brutus and Cassius. And uh, Brutus and Cassius were fighting for a charge of, the, of, of Rome, and Octavian won, defeated Brutus and Cassius, and Philippi had partnered with Octavian against them. And they got huge benefits as being part of this Roman victory. They, Philippi was now made a Roman colony, which meant they didn't have to pay taxes. Huge benefit. It became a uh, retirement community for the military. But not only that, it became known as a respected community. It was a big deal to be a Philippian. It's like you coming to A&M, right? When you're coming out of high school, you're like, okay, I'm, I'm looking for colleges, trying to figure out where I want to be. But then you come to Aggieland, and you may not have owned a piece of maroon, right? And now your wardrobe is covered in maroon, right? Everything you have, you're like, what shirt am I going to wear? Is it this color maroon, that Aggie shirt, this Texas Aggies one? Like everything comes in this beautiful, beautiful maroon and, you know, Aggie emblem on everything, right? And then when you come as a new Aggie, like there's something exciting about that, right? You get to be part of this new community. And so there's new yells that you get to do. If you're a freshman, you get to yell. Hey, cool. If you're a sophomore, that's what I'm talking about. If you're a junior, if you were a senior, that's what I'm talking about. You get to be part of this community. And and when you get part of that new community, you, you embrace the things that you get to be a part of. You stand together. You go to the Aggie games and you stand side by side and you sway together at the right time. You yell in unison. You get to stand together. And there's something beautiful about that unity. And what Paul is saying is this, I want you to be a community that's standing firm in one spirit and one mind. I want you to stand firm. That idea of stand firm is this, to, to plant your feet as to offer resistance. And it's really war imagery. See, in ancient warfare, uh, what would happen is the armies would basically have a shield and a spear or a sword. And armies would devastate other armies if they could be unified, if they could stand together and offer resistance to the enemy, if they could stand and fight one of the movies I watched uh, when I was in high school, um, so forever ago, it was like made in 2000, it was called the movie Gladiator. Any fans? 
as a dude, you need to watch the movie Gladiator, right? <laughs> Great movie. And, and I love one of the first scenes they have in the Colosseum. And they're all standing behind. Uh, he was a, uh, if you're not familiar with the story, he was a, a general of Rome who was sold as a slave. And he was brought into the Colosseum, and they would basically have these gladiator games in which they would basically try to see the murder of these gladiators. It's kind of based loosely on, a, on actual events. And so the, the actual events of gladiators in, the, in, in, in this moment was, was very common. And as they're standing in line getting ready to go out to war, you see that everyone is terrified. And there's one guy, and he literally kind of wets his pants, and so Maximus just kind of takes a step back. And he looks at everyone standing there and he says, look, if we stand together, we can win. And they run out into the Colosseum. They've got their shield and their spear and it's terrifying. And they were set up for a failure. There's, there's horsemen running around with bows and arrows. There's other, uh, other gladiators that are more prepared, more ready. These people had never really fought together. And he says, hold the line. And every one of them runs together with their shields, protecting their brother and protecting their heads from the enemy onslaught. And as they stand together in unison, they defeat an overwhelming enemy. And it's amazing to watch. As you're watching the movie, you're just like, that's what I'm talking about. Give me a sword right now. You know, as a, as a guy, you're just like, this is amazing. When you see people standing together, fighting against one another, it is absolutely amazing to see that level of unity. There's something beautiful that happens when you see people united in spirit and in mind. And that's what he says. You're in one spirit. Meaning, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you've got brothers and sisters all around you. And the same Holy Spirit flowing through every one of you. You are united in spirit, but not only in spirit, in mind. He says, I want you to be united together in mind. Meaning, I want you to move together as one. And there's something beautiful when you see anyone moving together as one. You see this in bands, right? If you've ever been in a band and you have like a lead singer and, and other instruments that, that know the timing, that know the rhythm, that know the levels they should play, it actually creates something beautiful to, to behold, whether it's orchestra or, or more rock in, in flavor, whatever it is, when they're unified, it creates something beautiful. But when one person decides to kind of go off on their own, to, to do their own thing, it's absolutely miserable. So I did youth ministry for a number of years, and I remember trying to put a band together with junior high folks. And uh, yeah, there are some punishments worse than death, and one of them includes helping junior high instrumentalists play together in a rock format. So one of them was a drummer, and the kid loved his drum kit, right? And he had an absurd number of drums on his kit and all of these cymbals, all of these different things. And the dude loved to play his drums and he only knew one level, loud. And he would just be bashing away at it. And, I, and at one point, like I know nothing about music, but I know that that was bad. And I walked over to him and I'm like, hey bud, I'm gonna, we're in a small room and um, you're piercing everyone's ears. Like I'm gonna need you to kind of tone your roll down. And and, and I tried to put a cage in front of him, and his parents had like an intervention with me. This was so great. They're like, um, my son um, loves to play his drums. And I'm like, ma'am, I understand. 
but the rest of us can't hear. I mean, we, we literally couldn't turn everyone else loud enough to overcome the sound that he was generating. And I'm like, you're not being part of the team. You're not being part of being together. And we've all seen that. Like moments when someone says, look, it's, it's about me. It's about, it's about what I can bring to this moment. It's about what I have, but that it brings disunity in it and it hurts the progression. And you see it in all sorts of areas. But I tell you what, it is powerful when you see the community of God coming together and focusing on standing firm side by side, not letting little divisions or little desires separate us. Emperor Julian, in the first century, he saw the Christian community moving in unity, and he was astounded. He said this, these godless Galileans, he called them godless because they believed in Jesus alone as God, not the pantheon of gods. He says, these godless Galileans care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. While those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should render them. I love that. As the Romans are looking at the Christians, they're saying, there's something beautiful. They're, they're caring for their own poor and for ours as well. They are, they are together. They're looking for needs and they are moving to help. They're not worried about their own agendas. They're looking together to help all of us. And I love that. You know what it would look like if the Christian community didn't let small offenses divide us? They wouldn't let small things move us apart. And instead of letting an offense hit you and saying, well, I'm not going to that church anymore. You lean in. You say, uh, let, me, let me talk about that because being together is more important than, than me feeling offended and taking my things elsewhere. Would you, would you lean in and instead of shooting bullets at one another, that you focus, you stand firm saying we are gonna be unified. We are gonna stand together. I'm gonna plant my feet at Grace Bible Church and I'm going to be unified with these brothers and sisters. I'm going to put my feet here, and there may be resistance that comes, but I'm going to stand here being together. I mean, I'm going to reach out in community and know that the relationships that I can form here are more important than, than personal desires of where I can spend my time. I'm going to plant my feet. But not only would you stand together, but you would strive together. He says this in verse 27, the second part of it, he says, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened by anything by your opponents. This is a clear side, sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that too from God. That word striving is actually a, an athletic term. It's the word uh, uh, work on my Greek. Suthaluntes. It's a Greek term to describe a an athletic contest of fighting together. It means that not only do we need to stand together, we need to move forward together. There's things that we've got to be a part of. I remember when I was in high school, um, I played soccer in high school, and there was a guy who spent a good 45 minutes in preparation for the game, just worried about how good he looked. Now, if you ever played soccer, you know that there's a variety of tapes you can use to like tape up your shin guards, fix your little hair. You know, there's all sorts of things you can do. He would spend 45 minutes in front of the mirror just adjusting his shirt. And on the, the bus ride to the game, it was about a 40 minute, 40 minute ride to the game, he would sit there with the tape and tape every 
band just perfect around his ankle, just perfect around the top, just making sure his shin guards are perfectly situated, adjusting his socks. And I remember watching this guy spend so much time just making sure he looked just perfect for the game. And he spent most of the time on the sidelines. And when he got into the game, he looked cute, but he never moved anything forward. He spent so much time in preparation, he never stepped into action, to actually contributing as part of the game. And I'll tell you what, one of the biggest challenges you'll have in your Christian life is this, not merely standing together, but striving together for the sake of the gospel, moving the gospel forward. And I think there's a tendency, if I can press a little bit, there's a tendency in Christianity, especially in this Christian bubble, to see the preparation as the goal. To see, and here's what I mean, to see the devotional life as the goal of the Christian life. Or to see the Christian events become the goal of the Christian life. Or to see Sunday morning attendance as the goal of the Christian life, instead of seeing those moments as simply preparation to actually advance the mission of the gospel. See, the goal of you coming to Sunday morning isn't to find a refuge from the world, it's preparation to reach the world. The goal of your devotional life is to be so filled with the love of God that you are ready to speak to a friend or a, a someone in your class that needs the gospel. The goal of going to Breakaway or other great Christian ministries is to to be inspired, to be encouraged, to bring friends, but to bring them to a place where you are prepared and learning so that the gospel may go forth. It's not a refuge from the world. It's preparation to reach the world. The reason you come to Sunday morning is to worship, to hear the word, to gather in community and scatter to go spread the word. It's, it's all part of the process to, to be changed by the word of God and go and live by the power of God to, to not worry about sin management, but mission advancement. And I think for many of us in the Christian life, we find that those, those moments that are really preparation become the goal and you miss the opportunity to actually see the mission go forward. I remember the first time I saw this in my life was in college. I spent the first really three years of college just learning about Jesus. I didn't walk in as a Christian into college, and it was in college that I started growing and learning and reading the Bible for myself. And I remember my, by the time I got to my fifth year of college, I was like, okay, I've got to go on a mission trip. And my church was taking a trip uh, to Mexico to share the gospel there. And like, I had all of this knowledge, like all of this information, but I had never actually shared the gospel with anyone. And so I get there, and I remember there was a 12-year-old boy, and we got in front of him, and they're like, okay, your turn, through a translator. And I'm like, all right, um, um, do you know that there's sin in the world, and uh, you are desperately wicked um, apart from the world? And I was like, I just blew it. And at the time, there was this sweet girl. She She was a Mexican national, this Mexican girl, and she was phenomenal. And so she took these muttering words of mine and translated them into something beautiful. And I saw this, guy, this little kid's face change. And it got to the end of my little spiel. And I'm kind of done. And she goes, hey, I think he's ready to receive the gospel. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and she's like, yeah, ask him. I'm like, would you like to know Jesus and have life with him? And he's like, yeah. And I, we prayed. And he believed. 
And that was the first person that ever came to faith. It was my first time to actually be in the game. It was so beautiful to see it. I remember walking around with this girl, and she was phenomenal. There was a group of us, and we would try to share the gospel with some of these locals, and then I would watch her share the gospel. I remember one moment, we have another translator, and this girl, because she didn't speak very good English, she was a local Mexican girl, and, and he tries to share the gospel. We do a terrible job, and we kind of take a step aside, and she steps in. And she starts talking to these people. And I don't know what word she says, but I am astonished at the words. And I look over at my translator as she is speaking, and he starts crying. And he was like a believer. He's from like our church. I'm like, why are you crying? He's like, that's so beautiful. I've never heard the gospel like that before, right? And I'm just like, tell me what she said. You know, and it's just like, I can't, I can't even translate it. And, and, and I look at the people she's talking to and they just melt. And I'm like, this is the game I want to be in. I don't really merely want to know the truths of the gospel. I want to see the gospel go forth. I want to see lives changed. And as I watch this girl share the gospel and see life change in front of me, I said, that's it. It's not merely that I know, it's that I get to be in the game and go. I would love for you to partake in that. So not only do we stand together, we strive together. There's a third piece that you get. We get to suffer together. He says it this way in verse 29. For it is been granted to you that you, for the sake of Christ, should not only believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw that I have and now hear that I still have. You see what he says in verse 29? Here's the gift. Not only that you believe, that you first believe that Jesus died in your place for your sins. That's one part of the gift. But the second part of the gift is this. You get to suffer. And that's part of the gift that we don't like, right? Like, it's been given to believe and to hurt. But you, you should know this. Every association brings obligation. Every joining into a group brings some challenges that come. So if you go out for the core, right? Anyone? Uh-huh, couple, couple folks in the core. You shouldn't be surprised when they start yelling at you. Like you're a new freshman, you walk in, you shouldn't be surprised. I'm like, oh, this seems a little oppressive to me. They're yelling at me and, and it's hurting my feelings on the inside. Like, no, no, no. Like you signed up for this, bud. Like you should know that your association brings obligations. Your weekends are no longer free. Life gets difficult. I, in military, you, you see this all the time. I had a friend of mine recently, he's a, he was a pastor here at Grace, and he just became a chaplain in the military. And so as part of this chaplaincy process, he needed to go weekends away for training. And he, <laughs> which meant there was a gunnery sergeant that would yell at him and make him do lots of push-ups. I remember talking with him afterward, uh, and he has a, he has a doctorate, and his, his little daughter was like, he yelled at you, daddy? Like, does he know that you have a doctorate? And he's like, baby, it would have gotten much worse if I would have brought that up, right? And, and he's, he said at one point, like he's doing like another round of push-ups, not marching in order, not doing the right things. And he remembers at one point with this 20-year-old yelling at him in the face, he went, this is what I signed up for. <laughs> but it's true. 
Every association brings obligation. If you want to work at Starbucks, don't be surprised when complicated orders and irate customers come. Like every association brings obligation. And the reality is this, your association with Christ gives you a great gift. It means you get to suffer alongside of them. It means you get to be a part of bringing the gospel forward. And it means you need to do this. Embrace the inconvenience of bringing the gospel forward. It means you embrace the inconvenience. And it will be inconvenient. You will need to have conversations with roommates about the gospel that you don't want to. You will need to have conversations with classmates about the gospel that you don't want to. But you you know what I love about this whole section? He tells us you don't go alone. You stand together. You strive together. And you see lives changed together. And you struggle together. There's a reason Paul is writing this letter to these Philippians. He's saying, you stood with me. He's going to send back with him Timothy and Epaphroditus. He's going to see these deep relationships of men that are going with him. You get to suffer together. And there's something beautiful when you get the community standing together striving together, and encountering difficulty together. And that's, that's for you. That you get to be part of community with an eternal cause. You can eternally affect the lives of people if you go. Some of you will go overseas. In the 1960s, there was a, a woman named Jackie Pullinger, Pullinger and she decided that she wanted to go to Hong Kong and to a part of Hong Kong that was called the Walled City. Um, it was known as Hot Nam. It was called Darkness. And basically, the British had owned that part of Hong Kong for a number of years. Not currently, but at the time, they had owned that part of Hong Kong for a number of years, and they had abandoned it. And so it was run by uh, the triad. It was gangs, and it was run by drugs and, and other things. And, and it, was, it was absolutely horrible. And she, Jackie Pollinger remembers walking in there going, how can the British own this? And it, it'd be in such disarray. But she had a passion to bring the gospel to this place. And so she comes and starts um, having conversations with <laughs> gang members, with prostitutes, with people addicted to drugs, all sorts of people that were in all sorts of dark places. And, and she, she was trying to share the gospel. And she recalls one moment when there was a guy who was in a gang that she was sharing the gospel with, and he was almost about to respond. It had been so hard. I mean, she had had possessions stolen. She had had her, her little apartment broken into and ransacked. I mean, the whole thing was all very difficult. And at one point, there was one guy who was about to respond and then he, he decided, I, I'm going to abandon, and he's, he, he's going to run away. And he's talking with her in a small alley. And so she goes, I did the only thing I could. I went and grabbed my accordion and pinned him in the alley, which surprised me when I read that. You know, can you just imagine this? Like he's trying to get around. Right? And I wouldn't let him leave until he promised to come to the meeting we had that night to share the gospel. That night he came to, to their meeting and came to faith and his life was changed. She embraced the inconvenience. And it will be. It will be for you. And you'll suffer. And it will be so worth it. My challenge to you is this. What is your next step to being part of a community that will change the world? For some of you, it's this. It's, it's to get in a small group. We have leaders that are going to be in the back of the room after the service, and, 
and you've been coming, but you haven't really taken the next step to get connected with a community that loves you and that is moving the gospel forward. For others of you, it means you're going to sign up for a mission trip, either a vision trip in January or it's a mission trip overseas, and there's so many resistances to that. But I'll tell you this, and it will be difficult. I'm not trying to say it's going to be easy. It'll be difficult. You'll have to say no to internships. You'll have to say no to other opportunities to be a part of bringing the gospel forward. But I'll tell you this, it's worth it. And when you get to be on the front lines of what God is doing with a team of people moving and advancing the mission forward, there is no place better to be. And I pray that you get to experience that as part of us, part of our community. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. And I thank you so much for the challenge that Paul gives us that we should stand together and strive together for the faith of the gospel. And I pray, I I don't know the exact places you're challenging each one of us, Lord, but I know you are. So I pray that if it's, it's building unity with other Christians, that you would help us to make steps to do that. If it's actually sharing the gospel with friends, with neighbors, with getting in the game a little bit, I pray that it would be that. Or if it's concern about what, it, what we have to give up, what we will suffer for being a part of your mission, I pray that you would show us that it's worth it and that you would give us the, the encouragement, the inspiration to take steps of faith that we might see the gospel go forth. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Once you turn the, your tables and have some good discussion.